Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now age of radio week's show we're talking to adele and brandon from the exit 12 homebrewing show it's a lifestyle podcast talking about beer culture and homebrewing but this week i have them to discuss all-in-one brewing systems since we all brew on them and we're going to talk about the benefits of each unit so stick around this week on homebrewing diy Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this show covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking about different all-in-one brewing systems, from the most inexpensive models all the way up to the Cadillac models. They are out there, and I think they've changed homebrewing for the better, and I think that they've made it more accessible to the hobby, and so... We're going to discuss those different models with the crew from the Exit 12 Homebrew Podcast. We also have Adele and Brandon on the show, and I'm just super excited to talk to them today and discuss all-in-one brewing systems. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Our newest patron, James Royston, I want to thank you so much for your support all the way from the united kingdom so very very cool when we get in an international patron so thank you very much james and i am sending i've actually already sent out your stickers because this happened during the week and they should be on their way soon and you'll be getting them so just kind of a heads up right now we are doing you get ad free episodes with no ads you get a your own custom rss feed and you get this episode as soon as i make it 
So, for example, as soon as I am done recording this show and editing it, it gets uploaded to Patreon before it gets uploaded anywhere else, and you get it right then and there. And so you can get that for as little as a dollar. The the price of, I don't know even know what you could buy for a dollar anymore, but you could buy ad-free homebrewing DIY for a dollar a month. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Another way to support the show is head on over to coffee. That's ko-fi.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Or if you go to our website, you'll see the floating logo there. You can click there. That's one-time support and any support is really appreciated. Another way to support the show is to head on over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and use our sponsor banners. Head on over to homebrewingdiy.beer and just click on one. We have some great sponsors right now. We have Brewing America, and we are also being currently sponsored by Keg Factory, and they are supporting this podcast, and it's only going to make this show better. So please, please support our sponsors. Another way to support the show is to head to podchaser.com and head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Your reviews help others find the show. I actually have kind of a long interview with this one. So we, we had a really great conversation and I did it on, we, we actually did the recording on a Saturday night. And I have to say that uh, I don't normally do this on a Saturday night. So I actually was kind of drinking some beers and stuff. And we had a really cool conversation and it went a lot longer than I normally do. So we'll, we'll jump right into it. So let's jump right into our interview right after a quick word from our sponsor. I want to talk to you about a tool that every homebrewer has in their toolbox and probably doesn't think that much about, and that's your hydrometer. The reason is, is that it probably came with your first kit and you might be on your third or fourth one because you dropped and broke it or something like that has happened. But I do want to tell you about Brewing America's hydrometers. And the reason is, is because these are American-made amazing hydrometers. These are these are very different than the what you would expect from a, a Chinese one that you're going to get with any homebrew kit. You got to check it out. Head on over to brewingamerica.com and you got to look at what what they have. They have handmade American hydrometers made with a scale that you can actually see. So if you're like me, I can never really get it dialed. These hydrometers have changed that. They've changed that game for me, and they could change that game for you as well. These are high-quality craftsmanship, and really, it's just it's a product that you can't get anywhere else. And if you're like me, you got to have the right tool for the job, and this is definitely the right tool. So head on over to brewingamerica.com and check it out today, and tell them that Homebrewing DIY sent you. I'd like to welcome Brandon and Adele. They are the hosts of the Exit 12 Homebrewing and Craft Beer podcast, and I would like to welcome them to Homebrewing DIY. Welcome, Adele. Welcome, Brandon. How are you? Thank you for having us. Very good. Awesome. Happy to be here. Well, I am super stoked to have you guys on the show. I, I've actually listen to your podcast. I, I know that when I first launched this podcast, Brandon was giving me some serious shout outs on Twitter for being a very different podcast. So I want to thank Brandon. And I, I think Brandon and I have 
kind of chit-chatted for a while now and just excited to have you guys on the show. So what we're going to tackle today is we all brew on all-in-one brewing systems, right? And so because of that, and I and, and personally, and this is a personal thing, I think the all-in-one system is really a game changer for homebrewers in general. When I started homebrewing in 1998, my first batch was an extract batch. And if you were going to do an all-grain system, you had to have a three-vessel. If you walked into a homebrew shop, they sold you a three-vessel system with a with a full-on like sprinkler sparge system. And you had to have different levels going into it. And from 1998 to when I actually got into really homebrewing, which was probably around 2010 to 2013, there was like a, a phase in there where I actually started to ramp up my brewing. And I would say a lot changed in that decade, right? That's when, you know, batch sparging really became a thing. Then you moved into brew in a bag, which a lot of the batch sparging and the original sparging guys were like, that's not all grain. And I'm like, you're using all grain. It's all grain if it's all grain, right? And then in the last decade, I think it's all come into this, you know, going electric first and then going with the all-in-one electric. And I think what it's done is really just made homebrewing a lot more accessible and easier to do in a smaller space. Specifically, when we look at it, 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 it space, that's, that's to me a really big hindrance to homebrewing. And so... I want to talk about maybe some of the different units that are out there and we're going to start with the lowest priced units and then we're going to work our way all the way up to like, you know, the multi thousands of dollar units and talk about what those differences are and, uh, and, and how that works. But first, before we dive into all of that, I'm going to start with Adele and I would love to hear a bit about how you got into craft beer and then how you got into to brewing and, and how, how, how you got into homebrew podcast. So well, tell me that story and I'd love to hear your background. <laughs> That's great. Um, how did I get into it? Actually, I got into craft beer because of work. I joined a really cool team at work and everyone there was into craft beer. I liked beer. I didn't know much about it, but I always liked beer. But they got me into that craft beer and then I became a little bit of a beer snob in that like I couldn't drink anything else. It had to be craft. It had to be microbrewers. And that got really expensive really fast. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, like I know how to do things. I should be able to figure this out. It can't be that hard to, to brew beer. And so I did a little bit of research. I started with a kettle and a mash tun on my stove kind of thing. And I made only two batches like that because that just got to be too much work and effort and I thought like there has to be a better way and that's when I got into the the all-in-ones but I never did I ever do a, an extract I think I did do an extract kit maybe once and then um switched to all grain using the mash ton and it was just fantastic so I was doing that for a bit and a little lonely in that because I was just I'm a little bit of a hermit or a lot of one and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to see if I can get involved in the homebrew craft beer kind of community. So I started like a little Twitter thing and I started a little website just to kind of document some of my recipes or some of my things that I've learned to maybe help out other people that are thinking of getting into the hobby that have zero experience, um, very little support or whatever. And that's kind of how I met uh, Exit 12 gentlemen. 
and Brandon and Nick um, was they reached out to me on Twitter. They're like, hey, we're going to we're going to start this podcast. We think you might be uh, a good co-host. What do you think? And and that's when I met those gentlemen. That was like last summer, wasn't it? Yep. Awesome. And Brandon, let's talk a bit about your brewing background and how how you went from. I think the the progression is always like we we start with yellow beer and then move into craft beer and then move into and then move into actually hey how do I make this stuff because I can right and so what 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 what's your story Brandon how'd you get how'd you get here yeah so um definitely started with you know your normal Coors Light yellow beers. Uh, and then started dabbling in in craft beers with my best friend Nick, who I I do this sort of project with, Exit Twelve Homebrew. Um, and then for his birthday, uh, about five to maybe it was like five or six years ago, we took a trip up to Vermont, um, which at that time was probably one of the meccas of of craft beer, and we went to a little place called Hill Farmstead, uh, and that sort of trip and and going there uh almost dying on the way back the dirt road in the middle of january uh sort of made us appreciate the the craft as a lot more and then we started doing the beer trades um trillium started really popping up so we we could pretty much trade for anything treehouse was was right near us as we are uh uh, we are South Shore, Massachusetts. Should have said that. Um, and the natural progression to that was to brew our own beer. Nick had do, done a few batches with his friends, and we sort of took that on, and and we took it pretty much head on about three or four years ago. Then we decided, hey, brewing's cool. Let's put all our brewing journeys on YouTube. So we started doing that for a, a, a couple of years. Uh, and then we decided we wanted to do a podcast. And the first thing that both of us said was, if we're going to do a podcast, we need a voice that is different than ours. Uh, we are very big components in pushing the minorities in craft beer or the, 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 the people that probably don't get appreciated as much uh and we knew that we needed somebody else and we were twitter friends with adele uh, and we saw what she was doing we had her on and she was a fit from the beginning perfect for what we're doing and the rest is history that's awesome and i i have to admit that like it's one of those things where we're all podcasters here. I look at the demographics of who listens to my podcast, right? And it's like 96% men, right? And and to me, it's like, you know what? I, I Everybody loves craft beer. And there's tons of people who should be approachable to the hobby. And, and I love that you guys are trying to say, hey, right off the get-go, I want to make uh, sure that there's a different voice than just our own, that that diversity of opinion because uh to me it's always like uh, i i always feel like uh, a different approach to craft beer is should always be admired and uh it, and it's one of those things where we live in a world specifically when it comes to home brewing where 
and this is something that I try to talk about constantly is that homebrewing is that thing where we get super dogmatic. Things are the way that they are. They should always be this way. And I'm the king of no. Did, did you make it? Does it taste good? Everything else shouldn't matter. Right. And so it's something where I, I like, I love that you guys be, made a true effort out of that to, to make that upfront. And, uh, Adele, I, I've listened to the podcast multiple times and I, I know don't, don't get shy. It is something where I, I love the fact that it, it is something where I, 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 I love your perspective because, you know, you, you get into the banter, right? You, and you guys are a fun podcast, it, it, very different than mine. Mine's very much like, hi, let's talk about a very dry subject of homebrewing and we're going to get real factual and just go down the list, right? That, that is, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. That is generally what homebrewing DIY is, right? You guys are fun. You guys have a good time. Uh, you drink some beers. You talk about beer. You talk about the lifestyle of beer. You talk about brewing, and it's a fun. It's definitely a fun podcast, and uh, you know, very, very much more lighthearted than mine. So, uh, uh, w- would you guys agree with that assessment? Yeah, um, we definitely, when we started this, wanted it to be more entertainment than education. Um, we can't do it as good as you can because we're. I'm just speaking for myself. I'm a functional idiot, so I can't do those things. Uh, <laughs> so we had to go the 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 entertainment route and and make you guys laugh and maybe enjoy your ride to work or something, uh, because we're just not going to. You might get a little nugget here and there, but we're here for the laughs. I got so many nuggets. I've learned so much from these gentlemen, and I really appreciate. It. So, like, I started brewing. In- 2019 so like i'm pretty new to the hobby very new to the hobby and things kind of escalate quickly especially when you see those shiny stainless steel things you're like ooh, i want that but (laughs) yeah no i I think i think (laughs) like i i get a i personally get a lot out of it so i think if for new people that are thinking about going to the hobby that you know don't want to be put off by something that's very intense and intimidating like it's okay. Like you can listen to our podcast and maybe learn a little nugget, but at least what you're going to get out of it is that you can be anybody and enjoy this hobby. It doesn't have to take over your life. Um, unless your name is Nick, um, then it might, (laughs) but I mean, like for me, like I I've integrated into my life. It doesn't take over my life. So my brew days are pretty low key and yeah, I kind of miss the perfect optimal, like whirlpool temperature, or I may miss the hot break and then have a big mess to clean up later. But you know what? I'm getting the kitchen cleaned. I'm getting laundry done. Like, yeah, I'm taking care of business while I'm brewing beer. I hate this. It's the worst. To be honest, I'm more Adele style, right? Uh, Personally, yes, I, I feel like when you listen to my podcast, it's very function. It, it is very educational. When we get into the show, and I sometimes surprise myself because of you know I, I do have a lot of experience, but on the other side of it, I fuck up my beers all the time. I'm not a perfect brewer, right? <laughs> I, I'll tell you right now, I brewed last Sunday and uh, I used it was my first time doing an under pressure kvaik and I blew up yeast throughout my entire fermentation chamber. And I spent all day today cleaning it out. Like it was the biggest pain in my ass, right? My kids trying to play with the hose. It was just not fun. And so, but 
that kind of crap happens to me all the time, right? And and there there's the homebrewers out there that are like, everything is perfect. My brew day goes perfect every time because I don't deviate from any process. You know what? I'm not that guy. And so, but on the other hand of it is that even when I really, really mess up a batch, it's usually not that big of a deal. It's like, to me, like, you know, cause I, I do strive for protect for perfection. I have won a few gold medals and some homebrew competitions, blah, 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 blah. But on the other side of it, I also don't really look at things from that, like diehard perspective. And I have to be honest, I, I have relationships with a lot of people that do, and I really respect those homebrewers for that kind of commitment that they put into the hobby and the, and the kind of dedication that they do. But I feel like, to be honest, the podcast that I put out every week is my dedication. I, I get to meet a lot of amazing people in the homebrew world, you two both on that same level. And it's, it, it, it to me is, that is actually my favorite part about this is the conversations I have about the process. And I, I, I have kids and I have a wife and I have a life. And so for me, it's like, uh, it's this every week and, and I get a batch here and there, right. I I wish I brewed as much as I could, as I wanted to, but it, you know, life gets in the way. I will say that, uh, I, I hate to say this, but because, well, I don't hate to say it, but the beer maker has actually made it a lot easier for me to brew more batches of beer because it only takes five minutes. <laughs> there you go. And, and I took you the beer to my homebrew club last week and they were all giving me shit about it because they were like, oh, I've never had <laughs> beer from an instant pot. And I'm like, yeah, but you guys don't think it sucks. So it's all working out fine. <laughs> There's so. many ways to skin a cat. You can 100% make beer in a million different ways. Totally. That's part of the fun. So let, let's dive into all-in-one systems since that is what we came here to talk about. And I think that we're going to talk about from the beginning is let's talk about some of these kind of lower-end systems, right? And and really, when we talk about the all-in-one system, let's talk about what it is, right? The true all-in-one system is actually the, the show I had last week where we talked about the, the beer maker because that actually does every single process of the entire homebrew experience where you like have this box that you put grain into, you add water to, you push a button and then you add yeast to, and then what spits out the other side is beer. That is insane to me that that's the experience I had with that machine, but that is actually truly all in one, right? When we're talking about the all-in-one systems that we're going to talk about today, though, is that these mainly focus on the hot side of your brewery day, right? And so what we're going to talk about are essentially all-in-one kettles. And to me, these have really changed because at least made homebrewing more accessible to the average person out there because it used to be they had to get like a huge burner, and you had to get propane, you had to lug it around, and you had to get this entire like full three vessel setup if you go even further back. And all of this equipment was so much stuff that it was really prohibitive to anybody that didn't have a full on garage, right? I have to admit, I have a garage, but the last few batches because, well, the last lot of batches because I've went to an all-in-one system, it happened in my kitchen, they just, I just throw it on my kitchen table and I'm doing other stuff and I'm brewing beer. And so I, I think that these systems really, really help with kind of taking some of the mystique and all the equipment out. So you can get into these machines 
for quite cheap, like around 200 bucks is the entry level here, which when you look at buying a burner, buying a kettle with ports, right? With temperature control, with like a, with a thermometer in the side, that kettle, a stainless steel kettle with a thermometer in the side and a port is going to cost you as much as one of these all-in-one systems. So this is something that really is, is, you, you, is super accessible and you can get there. And then once we get into these systems, there's a huge difference in price and features all the way up from, hey, this is basically a heater and it boils liquid all the way up to I've got apps on my phone and it's got a solid PID into it. And it's going to give me everything I need to like go through my brew day and it's going to be super slick. So we're going to start with, for me, the, the Brewer's Edge mash and boils, what I personally use. The reason I personally use this unit is because this unit is Essentially, I brew it a bag. It comes with it comes with all the same kind of parts that you would see in all these all-in-one units because they're kind of like a almost sparging hybrid of brewing a bag. And I think that maybe we should start there of what that process looks like is that these all-in-one units have a kettle. They're electric. They usually have a heating element that is on the bottom. Would you say all of yours are on the bottom, right? It's yep. kind of bottom heated. Agreed? Awesome. 100%. 100%. Great. So they're they're bottom heated and then from there they have this like kind of cage thing that they've built into them with with a with a screen in them that you that you're basically going to use to mash. And it's almost like brewing a bag except for you pull this cage out, turn it and it sits on top and then you're going to take your sparge water that you've kind of had boiling on your stove on the side and got to the right temperature and you're going to pour that through to sparge it. That's their normal process without a pump, right? And so what we're trying to do is it's kind of a hybrid of sparging with a brew in a bag. And that's kind of their normal process that they walk through my personal process with a, with a brewer's edge magician boils. I take all that cage and crap and it actually sits in my garage. I've never used it one time. I actually just have a bag. I throw the bag in there and I stir the hell out of it. And I know that here's the one thing I hate about my mashing boil. I have a 110, is that it doesn't have a true PID in it. And so I get varying huge swings on temperature, right? So for example, if I want to mash at 155 or a 153, it'll mash from 147 to like 159. You just get the whole 10 degree like mash schedule in there, right? And I'm constantly stirring my mash to try to keep the temperature as close to as possible. But I do a lot of step mashes anyway. So I usually dough in at around 130 and then I step mash to about a 145 and then I do another step mash into the 150s. I try to hit all of the temperatures all the way up. The reasoning doing that is that I just feel like I get all of the sugar extraction and it. it does lend to a longer brew day. But in all reality, when that's just kind of happening with electric and I'm not really having to watch it and sit over it because it's a protein burner, I can kind of let those things happen. That's my experience with it. Then I just pull the bag out, squeeze the hell out of it into a colander that sits over a bucket and I pour it back in. This is really my brew day. And then I go and bring it up to a boil, add my hops, take it out, put it into a, in, in, into a, into a fermenter, and I ferment in kegs. And then that's my brew day. I end up with about five and a half gallons of leftover wort. Um, after I get all the trube and crap out of it that I don't put in my keg, it ends up being about a straight five gallon batch. And I actually try to even leave some back because I try to get some headspace in my keg. 
the, this is my brew day process, right? Then from there, I have temperature control sitting in a fermentation chamber, and then I have a kegging system that goes into all of the, you know, the serving and all that. So why don't we talk a bit about your two, your, your setups, right? You, you both go use different systems and, and we'll start with Adele and, and go with your system and talk about how you're using it and what that looks like. Okay, so I'm on the Bruzilla. I've got the 3.1. I know previous versions had some issues, but I've been very happy with my Bruzilla. So for me, like my brew day, excuse me, my brew day actually starts the night before. Usually, if if I'm going to be brewing in my kitchen. When I'm brewing on my deck, it's my brew day starts whenever I feel like it. Um, Whenever I can find my flip-flops, basically. But on a normal, like... In my kitchen brew day, it starts the night before. I'm going to put all my water and I'm going to set my Bruzilla with a, like a delay stand and try to aim for the mash temp to be ready for maybe 8 a.m. I'll set it for 8 a.m. Like, like I'll anticipate that it'll be ready for 8 a.m. But like, let's be real. I may get to it at like 9 a.m. because I love to sleep in. So night before filling up, my Bruzilla. And sometimes it's not even me. Sometimes it's my kids getting in there and they're like, Oh, I want to help you mama. I'm like, that's right. You do. So yeah. So then 9am ish rolls around and I get the coffee machine started. Cause let's be real. You got to get that going. And then I try to have all the grain into the Bruzilla by the time the uh, coffee pot is ready. So then I've got my mash started I've got coffee in hand. I'm dealing with breakfast, just doing my thing. Usually running around last minute to make sure that I have everything that I need. You throw your Baileys um, in your I'm coffee. I'm really last minute. Forgot about the Baileys. Throw my Baileys in my coffee. That is so, so needed. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, like my, that's basically how it all kind of starts. And, and once the mash is done, I'll pull that pipe up and I am able to do it myself. Like, I don't think you need to be super strong to get that mash pipe out. Like I have no problem doing it, um, myself. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think anybody can, can pull it up. They you can get little winches and stuff, but I'm like, I'm not doing that in my kitchen. So I'll pull that thing up and the way I have my setup is I have a sparge water heater that I usually have situated with the little spout um, right above my mash pipe when it's sitting on top of the Bruzilla. So I don't have to like transfer hot water from a kettle or anything like that and I already have the temperature of my sparge water set at whatever it is that I want to set it at and I, I literally I just flip the little spout thing and and then I sparge and then I sparge and I hang out um at some point I'll I'll attach my little hacked version of a level indicator where I just kind of have some hose um hooked up to the uh little spout on the bruzilla at the bottom and then I have a, a mark on the outside of my bruzilla that indicates um like six and a half gallons and so I wait till my little MacGyvered um level wart level indicates six and a half and then i just kill the sparge set the um spent grain aside to make some spent grain with and try to get that try to get that boil going and then once it's going i i'm setting timers on my phone for like my hop schedule and and that's i don't know it's 
I think that's pretty much will it. I mean, once once the boils are done and and your your day's done, you're just transferring it over to the fermenter. I just recently started to cold crash in my fridge in the basement but other than that my basement um just regular temperature is pretty good for ferment fermenting so i haven't done temperature controlled fermentation yet i'm getting closer to that um especially with you know all the wonderful things that brandon and um nick have said about it but i did start pressure fermenting kind of i kind of messed it up that spunding valve didn't hold pressure very well so it is what it is but yeah, that's my brew day. Uh, that sounds like a pretty smooth one. I, I have a couple questions for you though. And the, the first question I have is, does the Bruzilla have big temperature swings on your match temperature? Does it hold it pretty well? Um, what, what does that look like? So I'm trying to hit a 153 match temperature. How well does it hold that temperature? Like I'm not taking temperature probes at the top and the bottom, but I f- feel confident that the circulation arm during a mash is keeping a pretty consistent, um, you know, temperature throughout because it's pulling it's pulling the wort from the bottom of the unit where the probe is and pouring it over to the top of the grain. So, in my mind, that's giving me a little bit of circulation, but it's definitely not enough to have like like that very consistent temperature throughout. So I yeah, I don't worry about it. I'm, I personally, I'm the same way, but it, it is something where these are the kind of things that people talk about, right? Is like, hey, can I hold a, a good mash temperature? It, am I able to do that? And so I, I think that having, if, if to me, and, and this is something that if you're a home brewer and this is a personal opinion, if mash temperature is that important to you, like, hey, I want to hit a 153 and I got to be within a degree or two of that, and that's what I want to do you got to have some sort of circulation with these systems because otherwise the way that, because the, the heating element sits on the bottom, the temp probe is also sitting on the bottom by the heating element. It's not like throughout the entire mash. Right. And you, you'll see like electric systems. I, and I'll give, I always talk about my neighbor, Aaron, he, his systems got like temp probes in the middle of the circulation arm, <laughs> like like he's got a temp probe in the tubing going up to the, 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 so he's got like five temp probes in this thing telling you the temperatures throughout the entire column. And to me, it's like, yeah, and he makes great beer. I'm not going to throw that out there. He does make great beer. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that you can go that extreme with this stuff, right? But when you buy these all-in-one systems, you kind of get what you get. And, and I have a digital thermometer that I use for the top. And then I know that I'm getting a temperature from the bottom. And usually there's a pretty big variance. Uh, I, I find actually, because heat rises, you actually tend to get hotter at the top. Or the other thing is, is that if your mash sits at the bottom and gets real heavy, it insulates the bottom and then the top gets cooler. So you, it's very important to kind of have that circulation or you're constantly stirring to try to even out that temperature as much as possible. I find that with my mash and boil, when I have let my mash kind of settle down to the bottom and it, it starts to heat up and get some heat, if I actually stir it really well with a mash paddle or a really big whisk, depending on what you want to do. I actually find that I'll drop five degrees in temperature from the top temperature, right? So it pretty much says that there's different variances throughout the, the that entire column. So these are kind of some things you got to think about, right? To me, 
mash temperature is less less important. Like I said, I I try to step. I do a lot of step mashing, and so it, for me, it's like I try to hit all of the matches. Like I don't even actually pull my bag out until we're above 165 anyway. So I, I try to get all of the temperatures through there. It's kind of a thing for, in my mind that I'm just like I feel like I make better beer that way. But some people are really nuts about it. So Brandon, yes. Uh, before we get into you, I'm gonna stop here and I want to. Uh, we're gonna get a word from our sponsor real quick, and then when we come back, we're gonna jump in and talk about what your brew day looks like. And, and because you have a completely different system than Adele and you have a completely different system than me. And so we'll get into that. So give me one second. Hey, homebrewing DIY listeners. I want to talk to you about Keg Factory. Keg Factory is a great homebrew shop that you all need to check out. So head on over to kegfactory.com because they've got everything you're going to need. They got a huge stock and in inventory from everything from ingredients to all-in-one brewing systems. You can get keg cash rewards and you can create your own account, earn points and get points on every purchase. So every dollar spent, you're going to get a point and you get 50 points just for signing up. You're going to get free shipping on most orders over $75. And the cool thing about Keg Factory is these guys know homebrewing. These are these are people that, that homebrew every day. And so you've got experience. If you make a phone call down to Cake Factory and ask them a question, they're going to be able to answer it for you. And they're going to answer it for you with love. And, you know, the other cool thing is that if you got to buy something big, we're, we're talking about all-in-one brewing systems on the show today. They're not entirely inexpensive. And so if you need to break that up into four equal payments, and you can do that for interest-free financing so head on over to kegfactory.com today and tell them that homebrewing diy sent you all right and now we're back so what we were going to talk about is brandon was going to get into his brew day and what it looks like and you're using an anvil system is that right yep that's correct awesome let's walk walk me through the brew day with your anvil system uh yeah sure so we have an anvil anvil foundry uh and we bought a Blickman Riptide pump instead of the standard anvil pump that comes with it because we're psychopaths and needed all the GPM, whatever. Uh, but we <laughs> we um, we had a Bruzilla, and that has now been commissioned to our sparge water heater. It's the most expensive sparge water heater in history. Uh, so we get that thing going to, to sparge temp while we're uh milling grain getting ready to uh get to our mash temperature so we usually set it a few degrees higher because once the um grain goes in we lose a little temperature once it settles a little bit that's when we we sort of set it to the desired amount um the good thing about the anvil foundry is it does have a power percentage button so you know we set it around 50 percent if we're just trying to keep temp um so that is a good function it is that is an upgrade i would say over our previous bruzilla um i will usually take after 10 minutes i'll take a sample get my phs do all my nerdy stuff uh and then we will uh once once the mash is done we will ramp up to mash out to 170 for 10 minutes then we'll pull the 
the little uh, malt pipe up. That's what that little thing that sits in your garage is apparently called a malt pipe. Uh, we pull that up uh, and, and we could just um, take the, cause I got all quick disconnects because again, I don't care about my money apparently uh, for, for both systems, my sparge water heater, which is my uh, robo brew and the anvil foundry. But we never use it because we kind of have this, uh, it's like a huge um, Tyvek like uh, cooking measuring cup that we sort of just keep uh, laudering on top. So it's, you know, I, we just feel we have control over it better that way. Uh, and when I'm saying we, I, I brew almost exclusively with uh, my best friend, Nick, who is the other half of Exit 12, who we kicked off of this podcast. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we do that um, and, and then, you know, boil it out, uh, do our stuff. Then we, we almost exclusively send it to our... Um, Adele, what's that thing called? Uh, not the all-rounder. We have the other one, but what's it called? The, the, what's what the mean? thing called? The all-rounder's name of it from Kegland. Yeah, Is it a what, firm I monster? Don't think so. Firmzilla. No. We have a Firmzilla. Yeah. Thank firmzilla. you, Adele. Uh, we have a Firmzilla, so we fill <laughs> that bad boy up, and then we do have a temperature fermentation chamber. It's a big stand-up fridge that we we connected an ink bird to so we have temperature fermentation and then i learned this from adele bob's your uncle and you have beer (laughs) (laughs) bob is your uncle (laughs) and they make great beer they make fantastic beer i've i've been fortunate enough to drink some of their beer that's yeah that's awesome and and so when we talk, so we've talked through three different systems, right? I, I would say mine's definitely the cheapest. And I will tell you that like mine is definitely laddie. I'm not even using all of the features of my system. Right. And, uh, I also have a one ten system. Are you guys all using one tens or using two forty? So we are one ten, but, uh, the good thing about the anvil is it is, it is built in for one ten and two forty, And we just got the electric, set up and and we, our next brew should be at 240 which we're super excited about that's pretty sick because uh the, i like that to be honest that i think that that's a great feature of that unit is that hey if you start out at 110 and then later you want to spend a few hundred bucks and get the 240 right then you have the opportunity to just make the change you don't have to buy a different unit with the bruzilla the mash and boil they have dedicated units to one or the other and so you have to kind of get what you pick. And then if you upgrade your electric, then you have to change. If you're in Europe, none of this matters. And if you're in Australia, none of this matters. It's only kind of a United States, Canada thing, right? And so it's it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, that. and, and to be honest, I think that 110 is the reason why electric brewing wasn't big in the United States and North America in general out the get go, because when you talk to people in Europe, when you talk to people in Australia, they've been brewing electric for a long time, but you could get a tea urn in Europe that'll boil water, right? Because everything's 240 and they just have, or 
it's actually, I, I think it is 220 or something like that. It's 110, 110, 220. But they, they just have more voltage. And so therefore, electric's just kind of been a thing. I, I remember 10 years ago hearing about in Europe where they would take like buckets, like plastic buckets, and they would have these like electric wands that they would just dip in the buckets. And that's how they would get a boil going, right? Because that you have enough power to do that. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was like, man, I could never do that here. Let me just go get my propane. <laughs> and they're like, propane? Who would be, who, why would you have propane? So it's just funny how like the infrastructure kind of makes a thing, right? That said, 110 will get you a boil. It takes forever, right? All of us will say that. Like, I, I seriously, once I'm like going up for a boil and I pull my bag out and I squeeze the hell out of it and then I pour it back in, I walk away. I even put the lid on and just wait, right? And try to get it up to a boil as fast as I can. And I just kind of, you know, go and glance. And once I get close, then I come back and kind of hover until we get to a boil. So I don't have a boil over or anything. Though I will say one thing that's great about these systems. I don't feel like I get boil overs like I did when I had a propane system. I just, it's, it's a lot cleaner of a process in general. I felt like I was always, I had a keggle and I would make a five gallon batch in and I could still get a boil over out of it. Cause you're putting so much heat into it. Right. And, and you're not getting that so much here. And just so all of you who are listening, Adele and Brandon are fully nodding. Yes. So, <laughs> 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 so yeah uh, but basically that is uh that is something where you you know make that decision on what power you want do you want 220 if you have it in your garage totally go for the 220 i couldn't recommend it enough it's going to save you time on getting your strike water up it's going to save you time on getting your boil there it's just going to save you time if you don't have it 110 is going to work but i do love the fact that the foundry has that option that's really really cool and the foundry isn't a super expensive unit my unit is you know a $200, $250 unit. I think if you get them brand new with a pump, you get it for about $299. Your Bruzilla, they're about $499. Does that seem about right price-wise? Well, it's, it's about $500 Canadian. Oh, yeah. Throw that Canadian <laughs> in. So, yeah, the, which which I think I think that it, that's pretty much the same American, actually. I think it's around $500 American as well. Um, and then how much is a foundry? The Anvil Foundry, I, I believe, without the pump was three forty nine ninety nine, if I'm not mistaken. And then I think it went up to like four hundred or four four fifty with the pump, um, if you wanted that option. Yeah, and then you've got. Uh, let's talk about the grandfather, right? I, let's talk about the elephant in the room, right? Which is. It, all of you guys, uh, Adele started to swoon, and <laughs> yeah. oh, the grandfather! Oh, the grandfather! It's like oh. ah, and and I have brewed on a grandfather before, so it, it is, it, and, and it's it's a it's a great unit, right? And here's why: first of all, grandfather has an app, and you know this is a home brewing DIY, and we love apps around here, and I love having I I just love brewing from my phone; it's a thing for me, and. I will tell you that Grandfather, the big thing there is it, it also comes in a 110 or a 240 version. You, you have to kind of make a choice there. I would say if you're going to get a Grandfather and you're already spending the money for one, you might as well just get 220 and move on, right? Because let's just, you're going to have a, a better experience all around. And that's what you're looking for with a Grandfather anyway. So just get the power run where you need it and use 220. That is my opinion. 
the big thing with the grandfather though is that it has a great app and the app is and the grandfather has really good mash control right so you can just come in it's going to be super dialed this thing is is a lot more expensive so we let's get that out of the way right up front you're looking at a grandfather in close to the 800 to a thousand dollar range depending on the unit you get versus the units that we're brewing on are anywhere from the 200 to 500 range so this is definitely like in the all-in-one brewing units this is the cadillac right and it, but it also comes with just better features. You get what you pay for with the grandfather. And, and this isn't a grandfather commercial. They're not sponsoring us or anything. I just think that all around, if we're talking to each other, we're all going to agree that the grandfather, you get what you pay for, and you're going to get a better experience when it comes to your brew day. The other thing is, is that grandfather has moved into the, the fermentation size. You can actually get a grandfather conical that is actually works with the app and is a temperature controlled conical as well. This is going to get you into about the $2,000 range by the time you get both of these units, right? You're going to pay a thousand for that. And you're going to probably pay seven, $800 for the, the, the conical. But the cool thing is, is that you're going to transfer straight from that experience go right into that conical and you're going to have a temperature control and then you're going to go into whatever you're going to serve in. So uh, the grandfather, you know, is a big investment, but it also has this kind of entire ecosystem around it. It has a, a really big following as well. I think that because it's been around the longest, it was really the first one of these kind of all-in-one brewing units to really hit the market and really take off. I think that it's the one that like, when we think of, at least in my mind, when I think of the all-in-one brewing unit, even today, I always think of the grandfather and then everything's a grandfather knockoff. That's in my mind. And, and would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Um, and the one thing that, you know, when you were talking about how you just get those features, every other one we talked about today has, uh, a wart chiller, but it's sort of, uh, it takes a while. Let's be honest. The wart chiller of those things takes a while. And Grainfather actually has a counterflow wart chiller that they say can do about 20 minutes. So yep. it's like just the little things like that um, is huge. Uh, it It's getting up to a boil and then bringing down to, to temperatures, which is a time suck on your day. And it's just the worst. So, yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoy that feature of the Grainfather. Yeah, and and so for me, I I per, I have a Hydra, right? My Hydra uh, immersion chiller probably cost almost as much as my entire yeah. unit, right? Like it was not cheap. Uh, it was around like my wart chiller alone was two hundred dollars, and so I could actually throw that in the cost of my 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 kettle, right? But it, it is something that I can draw. And I have ice cold Colorado water. You get that ice cold uh, Massachusetts yeah. water as well. And uh, I will tell you, I can drop down in about ten minutes. I can take from boil to to pitching temperature in about ten minutes. It's, it it is seriously that fast. And the thing, and it's an immersion chiller. This is not a this is not a, a counterflow chiller, right? Because the counterflow chiller, and just to kind of get in. Let's assume we're a beginner. A counterflow chiller and how it's going to work is essentially you're running the wart through a pipe and you're going to have water counterflowing the other way in that pipe. So at the end, it's the coldest. And at the beginning, it's actually the warmest if you counterflow, right? And so whatever is coming out the end should be pretty close to your pitch temperature. And if you recirculate it back through, you're there, right? Like that's, that's kind of the process here. 
with a immersion chiller like I have, it's your old school copper. You dip it in, you run the hose water through it, and it's going to do it. The cool thing about the Hydra trick chiller, and the reason I love the Hydra, is it's basically like three counterflow chillers stacked on top of each other and split into three pieces, and the thing just annihilates the temperature you actually have to i actually pick it up and stir it around in there to get the water moving around it because it just chills so fast and then you've got other types which are like plate chillers and i'm never going to recommend a plate chiller to anyone because a they're hard as hell to clean and b uh, i love to just throw my hops into like like i just throw them in my boil without like any kind of screen or anything i I have been doing a screen lately, but that's only because Ryan Packmeyer yelled at me and made me start using the screen. But for years, I never used a screen. I just threw my hops in there. As you could tell with my bag and everything, I'm a pretty lazy brewer. And so I would throw all my stuff in there. And if you had a plate chiller, I would clog it every time. And then you have to take the whole thing apart. And it is the biggest pain in your ass. And so I just don't recommend plate chillers because if you have a lot of troube, and you don't do a good whirlpool, if, if you don't have a whirlpool arm and you could bring all of that troop into the center and have clear wart coming through it, it's not worth it. That That is really just how I feel about plate chillers. But yeah, so to me, it's counterflow or immersion chiller or just an ice bath if you're looking at like one gallon batches, but you know, each person's their own, right? Sure. Yeah, we have a jaded too so, and we love uh, it. It's awesome. Oh, dude, it's it's amazing. They're, life changing. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. It's life changing. Like, I I, I moved to Colorado, and the first thing I bought was a jaded chiller, and my wife was pissed. She was like, "We need a couch," and I'm like, "Yeah, no, couch can wait." <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> the couch can wait. I need to cool my beer down Absolutely. faster. So, and then we and then we got uh, and th- then so the other part with it is is that. It also, the the grandfather, I believe, actually has a PID in it. I'm going to Google that right now because I want to make sure, but I believe it does. And are are you guys, do you know what a PID is? Yeah. Yeah. No. Good. We got Brandon with a yes. We got Adele with a no. And so the grandfather, I believe, has a PID in it. And what a PID does, I'm, I'm telling you right now. It does have PID heating, so you, there we go. The Grandfather G30 does have PID, so it's an option. And what a PID is is basically it's a control algorithm that runs into the soft. It's it's very software driven, right? So what you have is you'll you'll have multiple temper, temperature probes within whatever unit you're going to use. The key to a PID is you have to have at least two temp probes, and the reason is is that you have to be able to to, to basically correlate for the swings in temperature. Uh, I love to use PIDs in fermentation because it's easier to explain. But basically what happens is if you add heat to something, when you stop adding heat to it, it still heats up more, right? It's the same when you have a fridge. You throw something in the fridge and you say, hey, it's going to be 30 degrees. And you stop it at 30 degrees, it still gets colder, right? Things like the, the ambient air still gets it colder. What a PID does is a PID is actually going to factor that swing in temperature into the entire piece. And so what it does is it stops it in time so that as it gets colder, you can actually get rock solid temperatures within a 10th of a degree. So you can say, Hey, this needs to be 94.1 degrees. I'm throwing out random temperatures here. And 
it will hold exactly at that temperature. The big key to that, though, is that with PIDs, you can't use ambient temperature. You have to use the liquid temperature, right? So you can't say, hey, I'm going to use the temperature of the refrigerator. I'm going to use the temperature of the of the element, right? You have to actually say, I have to take the temperature of the liquid itself. And so what you can do is take, you have to have the ambient temperature, at least in a fermentation schedule, you would have the ambient temperature of the fridge. You would have a temperature that is of the liquid itself. So if you're fermenting beer, you would have the fermentation temperature of the beer, and you would actually have a thermo well that goes right inside of the beer. And you're going to factor those swings on the outside to that to keep the beer temperature at that exact temperature. And so what PIDs, at least on the fermentation side, do, and also on the hot side as well, if you're thinking about it in the fermentation side, it's also going to factor in things like, hey, yeast is producing heat as well as it's fermenting. And so that gets factored into the entire experience. If you're using a PID on a hot side, it doesn't need to factor that, but it does need to factor in that the element is cut off at this amount of time, yet you're still going to have thermal mass that's going to be in there. So if you've got a mash in there, that gets factored into the entire experience. And so you're getting that with more money, right? What you don't get with these cheap ones is you're not getting the PID. And the, the number one thing we've been talking about is, hey, this one has huge temp swings. I say it's 153, it's within 10 degrees, right? You ha that, that is, PIDs solve that. There is none of that. And w that's what you get when you pay for it is a software-driven multiple temperature probe, solid, amazing temperature control. And so th that's the, that, that's what you're getting. Essentially, to me, it's like, yeah, they're all made out of stainless steel. Yes, they all have pumps. But what you also get is you get better software and you get better hardware that allows you to actually really have dialed stuff. And that, that's, that's, we, that's why these things cost more money. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It, All in one systems, man. Yeah. Good time. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, grandfather's might be one of the only ones that have sort of in those standalone, basically all in one systems, a PID, because I know the claw hammer does, and I believe the spike all in one does too, but that's an external unit, uh, altogether. It isn't sort of yeah. part of the whole package. Yeah. And, and also, and that, and that could be another thing when you think about it is like, uh, PIDs are algorithmically driven, right? So for example, the grandfather with the PID built into it is $999. So if you just get a standard $800 one, it may not have a PID in it. And so they're algorithmically driven and you can tweak them, right? You can actually get it like uh, I've gone into when I had a, a brew pie run in my fermentation, you can actually go in and change all of the factors of how it's going to act. So if you have a certain variable in your system that is different than something else, let's say you're not using their system and you're just got a bag in there, you can adjust it. And that's the cool thing about the PIDs is that you can really, really get them dialed based on how you're doing things. And so I'm a fan of them. I'm a fan of PIDs and I've talked about them on this podcast like a hundred times. So <laughs> as you can tell, I'm a fan, sure. <laughs> but they, but I, I love good temperature control and I'm a freak about it, but it's funny. I don't personally do it in my brewing. 
but I do it on my fermentation, right? And the reason I do it in fermentation, and I'm, and this is this has to do with my own personal thought processes here, is I think it is more important in fermentation. The reason is is that we make wort, yeast makes beer, right? And if you can give the right ideals of of the right situation for that yeast to do what it's going to do, you're just going to end up with better beer. That's my personal opinion. And I don't, uh, people, you know, we're all going to have our different aspects of the debate, but to me, I think fermentation control is just so, so important for me, even though, you know, there's been millions of experiences that say that people can't taste things, blah, 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 blah. But for me, it's like, there are certain pieces I'm dogmatic about, and I would say yeah. that's the part I'm dogmatic about. Yeah, there's a few parts in our process that I felt we made quantum leaps. First was water chemistry. As soon as we started making yeah. our own water profiles, we saw a huge improvement. And the second biggest improvement, I would say, was when we started uh, temperature controlling our fermentation. That Those were the two biggest leaps we've made in home brewing, and, and we have seen the quality in the beer. Uh, jump up from those yeah yeah and and water chemistry doesn't have to be so like scary Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of people like get into it and they think it's scary well and i always say if you listen to john palmer talk about water chemistry it gets Mm -hmm. real scary real fast because he gets way into the ions and and i'm like it doesn't need to be that hard guys you get you get four different salts and you just deal with the ratios it's not that hard um, think of it as the same as like, hey, I'm seasoning food. If you look at it in that aspect, it's not that big of a deal. And don't get so hung up on you know parts per million. Just get close. You'll be fine, yeah. right? I. But what I see a lot of people is like they they they're afraid to get into water. Water's not hard. You just get in there and do it, and all of a sudden it makes sense, and it's really not that hard. And don't, and, and here's my number one recommendation. If you're listening to this and we talk about water, don't go by city profiles, just go by the kind of beer you're making. Right. I need a, like a dark Amber light hoppy, like get into those versus trying to do like, I want to make the water in like, you know, London. Mm -hmm. Right. People do that. And if you look at the software, it has like, you can get the water profile for London. Well, guess what? Those breweries are changing the water there anyway. So don't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Right. And so, yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah. So if you got the same water profile as London, it doesn't matter because guess what? All of the breweries in London are actually adding more sulfates to their water to make yep. it harder. So it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, w- I want to, I don't know, guys, anything else you want to say about all-in-one brewing systems? I got way sidetracked, so. <laughs> well, so I did swoon when you brought up Grainfather, and it's definitely my my dream system, but without the software there's not much difference between the grandfather and the bruzilla like technically except for one big feature and that's the display yeah. is up higher i don't know how many times i've laid down on my deck to like look at the damn screen on the bruzilla so i mean i'm just saying like 
you got to do your research and like actually picture yourself brewing on that machine. Like, what does that look like? Are you laying down on the deck to read the display or are you just kind of looking from your phone if you're using the app? I think there's a, a lot to like really picturing yourself in a brew day experience with that system before purchasing it. And you know what? I kind of, I, I think I should have, you know, spent double the money to get the grandfather just hey, so that I wouldn't make have to the lay big down bucks. Just do it. <laughs> I've been telling her this for weeks. Just do it. <laughs> wow. I'm cheap though. Treat you know yourself. that. I, well, <laughs> see, we're, we're all homebrewers, man. We inherently were cheap, but you were not really cheap. That's exactly. like the thing about being. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wasn't as cheap as I could have yeah. been. Definitely. Well, and for me, it's like I I got to be honest. The the only reason I brew on a mash and boil because I had like this, you know, I had a keggle that like I built and like it was it worked fine. The only reason I have a mash and boil was because a guy in my homebrew club was like, "Hey, I don't want to have this anymore." Uh, my mother-in-law moved in and my wife won't let me brew anymore. It was actually a really sad email. It was like, you know, that's that's the saddest email you get from a guy in your homebrew club. He's like, I gotta stop brewing because of, you know, some exterior, uh, some exterior, some outside circumstance, right? And he was like, 150 bucks for a brew, for my, for my mash and boil. I was like, I'll take it. And so that's how I ended up with it. It wasn't anything that like I was, but then for me, it was like, oh, hey, I could brew in my kitchen. All right, I'll just, and then it, you know, I have this whole thing where I promised my wife she could park in the garage and that never really happened. So then I started just shedding all of the big stuff in my brewery. And then now actually just yesterday, she actually parked in the garage for the first time in four years. So it's, it's, it's a breakthrough in my relationship and my family and, uh, and part of that has to do with me moving to the mash and boil because it is so much smaller. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I think that that is one thing that we we mobility was huge for us. Being able to move it around, we actually went stupid and got like a hydraulic lifted cart. We move it on just so we can lift it up and down because we're dumb. But again, it was one of these things where we like to move it. We'll move it over to the windowsill. Like we'll just roll it over to the windowsill. We want to use the jaded. Uh, right out the window, moving it out to clean and things like that. Like it was the biggest thing is uh, you were talking about people like plumbing in, um, you know, like water and things like that. We want to be so mobile in our um, in our brewery and just be able to do that. We learned that from uh, a, a craft beer brewer friend. And it was just one of these things where we were like, we have to have this mobility and be able to move and clean under and do these things. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a good thing to put out or, or if you're an apartment brewer, right? Like these systems allow you to brew in an apartment. Whereas, you know, a propane burner, if you got a deck, you can't do it. Like most apartments aren't going to let you do it on your deck. Right. You can't even have a propane barbecue, let alone, you know, anything else. So uh, to me, it's like if you're an apartment brewer, the all in one brewer and you want to make five gallons of beer instead of a one gallon batch, that that's where you go. Uh, though, when anybody's like, hey, I live in a small apartment in New York City, I'm like one gallon batches, yeah. dude, all day. Right. That's the. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, you know, that, that that that's all a thing. But, uh, you know, for me, those are the the keys of homebrewing is 
make it relative to size. I love the mobility idea, right? Hey, it's a lot easier for me to just grab my all-in-one unit, bring it to a buddy's house, plug it in the wall, and there we go. We're ready to roll versus lugging a propane tank, lugging a burner, lugging your kettle, getting that in your car, all of your brewing crap, right? You still got to put your kit, your grain. For me, my water kit is like huge. I have like, you know, because I, for some reason, decided to buy, you know, sulfate in a (laughs) multi-pound bag and I'll never get through it in my entire life. (laughs) And so it's like, I have to bring all that around. pH meters. I'm a, I am a geekier brewer than you think I am, even though I say I'm lazy. I am a much geekier brewer than you think I am. And so all of that stuff is coming with me wherever I brew. And so this makes this a lot easier for me to do. And then usually, and I will say on the mobility side, brew, ferment and kegs, guys. I know you, you don't because you're, you're talking about your firmzilla, but uh, uh, dude, ferment kegs because that even makes it even more yeah. mobile. And uh, you got kegs. Like kegs are laying around and it's stainless steel. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. This is True. my... This, I, I don't know. Those all rounders are really easy to move around. This is my this my soapbox. This is my soapbox. My soapbox is fermenting kegs. Everyone. (laughs) The one thing I will say about fermenting in kegs is everybody's like, "Well, how do you? You know, I want to get into pressurized fermentation." Okay, you have kegs. Yeah, we just did our first one in a keg. The only thing I will say is you need headspace, (laughs) and we just did not bring because we're like, "Oh yeah." Five gallons, <laughs> unless we can go up to four point, you know, four and a half gallons, maybe four, you know, four and three quarters. We're good. Yeah, we had a little mess on our hands, but uh, learn from that. Yeah, five drops of defomer will solve yeah, that problem. Yeah. Five drops of defomer solves that problem, yeah. and 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 it's one of those things where it's like that little thing in your brewery, just a little jar of defomer. Uh, I will say, I love me some five star chemicals. I'm rocking my five star chemicals hat right nice. now. And uh, I will say that uh, the five-star chemicals defomer works great. <laughs> Love that five-star. Uh, yeah. Oh, me too. Me too. Well, you know, I, I'm in Arvada, Colorado, and their head office is just like blocks from my house. So uh, love the crew at, at five-star. They're awesome. And uh, But yeah, that that is something where that little thing, if you're worried about headspace in your, in your keg, that is something that just five drops of defomer in a keg, you don't have problems with Croyson blowing out because that's essentially what that is for. Even though it was, I bought it initially to help with boil overs. It does help with fermentation Croyson going up and down as well. So that that's actually its intended use is when you don't have headspace. All right, guys, do we have any other tips we're going to throw out to people? I don't. Yeah. We good. good? (laughs) I I do. We're in like an hour into this. So I, I think we should probably wrap this up. Hey, Adele, Brandon, thank you so much for coming to Homebrewing DIY, guys. I, I know that uh, um, you guys have to check out their podcast. It, it is really good. I will put a link to it in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, just scroll into the show notes. There will be a link right to the Exit 12 Homebrew Show. Check it out. It's a great show. And they're, they're fun. They're talking about beer. How can you not want to listen to another beer show, guys? And... The, it, it is definitely a show that you should have in your arsenal if you're if you're like me, and this is how I got into podcasting. I'm a traveling salesman. I sit in my car all day, and so I just cram through podcasts. And so if you're like me, this is another one you should throw into the mix. So uh, thank you very much, guys, for coming thank on the you show. For having us. Mm-hmm.
I want to thank Brandon and Adele for taking the time to come on this week's show. You can head on over to our show notes and you can get a link right to their podcast and check it out. It's a great one to subscribe to and I highly recommend it. Also, you can find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at homebrewingdiy, all one word. Well, that's it for this week. And we'll talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY.